this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Holy Spirit, we need you. Um, Friends, I'm going to begin this morning by uh, just sharing uh, a little bit of a dream that I had because I think it it fits very well into what's going to uh, transpire in terms of my message this morning. Uh, My wife and I got home very late last evening or very early this morning, I should say, about like 2 and got down to bed about 2.30 and... uh, (laughs) I didn't, uh, I didn't sleep for very long. It was about 5 a.m., and I feel like the Lord had woke me up, and uh, either it was, I'm using this terminology lightly, either I had a dream and the Lord woke me up, or he woke me up and I had a dream while I was awake. It was one of those, <laughs> sounds very, very strange. The Lord doesn't typically speak to me in dreams, but I had this very vivid picture um, of something that the Lord was trying to show me, and that's that's the simplest way I can say it. I wish I could put more uh, apt language to it. It just doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me this way very often. So when he does, I try to take specific note of what he's saying. And in this dream uh, that was very vivid, uh, I was on an airplane, and I was on an airplane with my family, and I had uh, like a headset kind of helmet thing, and we all had backpacks with parachutes. And so it was kind of like this cargo, almost uh, uh, military plane, but we were all civilian passengers on it. And I, I mean, it was like this massive plane. There was, it was full of people all going I don't know where. And all of a sudden, the plane started going down. The, os- the oxygen masks had fallen out of the ceiling, and things were going down. And I remember so intently focused on getting our parachutes out and making sure that everything was wrong. And I, I had my family tied up and, and uh, you know, making sure, like, uh, that everything was ready to go. And we jumped out of the plane, and we all pulled our chutes, and we, we kind of just were floating nice and easy down. And I could hear my, in my, uh, we, we had uh, these, like, walkie-talkie things, radio things, <laughs> headsets. <laughs> and I could hear... This heads, This sounds so weird. I promise it's going to go somewhere. But in my headset, I was talking to the Lord. And I was thanking the Lord. God, thank you for saving me and my family from this fiery crash. Thank you for saving, uh, saving us and delivering us from sure destruction. And I was, I was, just, I was overwhelmed with gratitude and gratefulness. And I, like, I just saw this. The, the plane crashed. It went up into flames. And we were just kind of slowly on our way down, and in the headset, the, the Holy Spirit responded to me and told me, you know, that's great that you're okay, but I actually wanted to guide you through on how to fly and safely land the plane, and uh, in, the, in this dream, I just felt rebuked by the Lord that I was, I was very much concerned with my own well-being and making sure that my family and I had figured it out and that we were going to end, end up safely, that we missed out on the opportunity to save others. 
And I just felt so gripped by the Holy Spirit, friends, that there is such an urgency to the situation. Not that Nate Ward in himself is going to save people, like I'm going to be the hero and land the plane. But it was clear and specific that the Holy Spirit had spoke to me that he wanted to guide me through and use me to help other people as well. And I, it just kind of painted a picture, and we're going to go somewhere with this, with Scripture. I'm, I, I don't like to talk just about dreams or visions like that if it's not backed up in Scripture. But I think we can have a preoccupation with where we are and making sure that we're okay and that we have the right theology and, and have a very inward-focused relationship with the Lord and forget the fact that He actually cares about other people too. I need you to understand something. You're not as important as you think you are. Paul actually says that in Galatians. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just quoting him. And that's not to say that we shouldn't watch our life and our doctrine closely. That's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about where we are with the Lord. But if our concern about where we are with the Lord isn't pointing us to actively be engaged in the well-being of others then we're missing something, friends. And so as we talk about the mission of Open Door Church, that's where we are, as we talk about uh, what the Lord is doing in terms of our congregation and where we're going, I wanted to begin with that very vivid picture that the Lord had showed me because I believe that that's where we are um, kind, of, kind of in church history, not just here in Pagosa, but if you look at the kind of the well, like the well-established um, kind of world of Christianity uh, at large, at least within our nation, a lot of it is very inward-focused. It's what can Jesus do for you, not what you can do for the Lord. And it's very much about how Jesus can come and make your life, which he does. I'm not trying to downplay any of that. He wants to come and make your life better. He will. He's going to come and make wrong things right. But the message that I see in the New Testament and the explicit command to the church over and over and over again is to go and make disciples. Is that God wants to reproduce those good things that he's doing in you and other people as well. And so with that, we're talking about mission. And last week we talked about the mission of the church and I established that the mission of the church can't be just this idea that we run with as some kind of vision statement. The mission of the church has to be the mission of Jesus because Jesus lived his life on mission. And uh, we understand that when we're actively engaging in the mission of the church, which we talked about, uh, which is accomplishing the will and purpose of the Lord, we're actually actively engaging with the mission of Jesus. Um, so with that, what was the mission of Jesus? Why did he come? And I would say that the primary re mission of Jesus was to glorify the Father. We see that in everything that he said, in everything that he did, at the forefront of who Jesus was, his mission was to bring glory to the Father. And the primary way by which he did that was seeking and saving those that were lost because that was so dear to the heart of God. We see that Jesus himself describes his mission in Luke 19.10 as, as he came, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so with that in mind, I believe that it would be extremely negligent for us as the church 
to not prioritize seeking and saving the lost. If that's what Jesus' own words about why he came, he established those in the gospel narrative. If we somehow let that become like a, like a level two or like a level three priority. And in reality, I think, uh, I think it's easy for us to say, you know what, we have to make sure that we're perfect and that we're right before we ever try to share the gospel with somebody else, right? And if I tell you, can I tell you, if you try to wait for that to happen, you are never going to share the gospel. You are never going to share this love and life and light that you've had in Jesus with somebody else because you're consistently going to be reminded of your inadequacy. And that's why uh, kind of a theme model verse that I've let mark this kind of series, I guess we're calling it, on what the mission of the church is, uh, comes from John 20, 21 and 22. Jesus says this, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus is saying this to his disciples. As the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus is sending his disciples. And he says he breathed on them, said receive the Holy Spirit. There's something in these words of Jesus that really brings to light the fact that you cannot fulfill the calling of God on your life in your own effort. And I want to be very clear, Open Door Church is not going to accomplish its mission mission (laughs) in seeking and saving the lost to glorify the Father just because we have it all figured out because we have the right programs, or we have enough money, or we have the right people in the seats, um, or we have the perfect organizational skills, or you have a, like a really like awesome pastor that is cool and stuff. Um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to be uh, what brings about the mission of the church. It's only going to come by way of us operating and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says here, receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, hey, uh, as I'm sending you, go do it, figure it out on your own. He says, I'm sending you, but I'm coming with you. I wrote this. I don't know if you guys know this, but today marks four years of me being the senior pastor of this church. My wife and I were installed, not exactly, it was a few days ago because like the way calendars work, but... Kelly and I have been here for four years, and I just want to thank you guys for trusting us, (laughs) Um, following us. Friends, we are catalysts of change for the culture. I believe that the Holy Spirit working inside of us actually equips us and prepares us and enables us to change the world around us. That's the importance that the role of the Holy Spirit plays in your life, right? That's what Acts 1.8 says, talking about the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost, that he was going to pour out his Spirit, right? He's going to fill us with his Spirit to be his witnesses. He's going to fill us with power. 
<laughs> to be his witnesses. Because he understands that you make a really poor witness for Jesus. I need you to know that. You make a really bad witness for the Lord. <laughs> you with the Holy Spirit are unstoppable. So with that, I want to talk about awakening today. Our mission here at Open Door Church is threefold. It's to awaken, to equip, and to send. And awakening, initially, when I, when I kind of first heard this from the Lord, I believe that there was uh, two aspects to awakening. I'm going to talk about them. But the Lord gave me a third one that I think is important um, to highlight before we talk about the other two. And I believe that the Lord in this season, especially with where we are as a ministry, um, in preparation for what's to come, I believe that the Lord spoke to me that he wants to awaken the prophetic voice to his people. I say that because prophecy kind of gets a bad rap in some Christian circles because we've heard it and it's been misused and uh, we, it's, it's kind of weird. And so we have all these weird thoughts about what prophecy actually is and what it looks like. You know, I've been around some prophetic people that were a little kooky. <laughs> a little, they made me a little uneasy sometimes. I was like, is this really Jesus? And because we don't understand the prophetic, because it's not easily, uh, it's not easily understood, therefore because it's different, we don't walk in the spirit, we kind of try to shut it out because it makes us a little uncomfortable. But you remember, it, w essentially what I'm saying is that it's essential that the voice of prophecy be heard in the church if we're going to fulfill the mission of Jesus. And why do I say that? Uh, right? We've been reading, I keep quoting Proverbs to you, where without vision, the people will perish. It actually talks about where there's no prophetic unction, where there's no prophetic utterance, where there's no revelation the people will perish. That's what that word means when it's talking about vision. We, we claim vision because it's easy to use that to say, hey, we're having a vision Sunday, and this is the direction that we're going. That's not really what it's talking about. It says where prophecy ceases, then the people will perish. So what is prophecy, friends? I want to give you some very simple definitions of what the prophetic actually is from Scripture. In Revelation, we're told that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And friends, if the prophetic isn't pushing people towards Jesus, then it's not prophecy. It's kooky stuff. Friends, at the center of every prophetic word, at the center of every kind of prophetic movement, has to be Jesus. When you speak forth the testimony of Jesus, when you actually share the testimony of Jesus doing something in your life, what you're doing is you're prophesying, saying, Lord, do it again. Because when we talk about the testimony of Jesus and what he's done and what he's capable of, when I share my testimony of how God delivered me and he healed me and he set me free from bondage and he set me free from Satanism and he gave me a hope and he gave me a future, what that does is I'm prophesying the fact that he can do it again. And it's not just that he can. Prophecy has a certain weight to it because it means that it will happen, right? This is where it gets weird. People talk about prophecy as, oh, I'm going to prophesy that the world's going to end. And it, they treat it like it's foretelling the future. And some of that, because in the Old Testament we see the prophetic work that way. I'm not saying that he can't. 
There is prophecy that at this time next year, you guys are going to have a son. Or, you know, something. there's prophecy that exists that way, but that's not all that it is. We boiled it down and we cheapened it when we explained prophecy that way. But I believe to prophesy is to speak forth the will of the Lord with the assurance of faith that it will certainly happen. That's as simple as that's as simple of a definition of prophecy as I can. When you speak forth the will of the Lord with the assurance of faith that it will actually come to happen. So when I say I prophesy that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit upon this church, I'm I'm saying that from a position of of where God has placed me in leadership that I believe, not just that I believe, but I've heard that he's coming with a mighty move of his spirit and that he's going to breathe upon this church. I'm saying that because I have full assurance because the one that told me to speak that forth knows that it's going to happen. Friends, we need a prophetic voice to awaken within the church. I say this because for a number of weeks now, the Lord has had me in Ezekiel chapter 37. Where Ezekiel is prophesying to a valley of dry bones, the hand of the Lord comes upon him and sets him above this valley. And the Lord starts talking to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, son of man, can these bones live? He says, you alone know. Ezekiel had it figured out. God, I, I don't know, but you do. <laughs> I love his response over and over again. You, you don't have to know the answer, but he does. And if you can hear his voice, then you know. Does that make sense? Hmm. Ezekiel 37. If you want to turn with me there, I'm not going to read it verbatim. I'm going to kind of give you um, the NST. It's called the Nate Slang Translation. Anyway. Not really. But I love in four, the command of the Lord comes to the prophet Ezekiel to speak a prophetic message to the bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. And we know this, that he prophesies to the bones and then muscle, all the bones come together with a great rattling and a shaking. And that would be pretty freaky in and of itself. Most of us would stop there and say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. God, you are good. You certainly are God. That is amazing. That's the most miraculous thing we've ever seen, right? And there's just a bunch of bones moving on a valley floor and they come together to resemble skeletons now, right? Let's be honest. Most of us would probably stop there. That would freak us out. That was pretty cool. But that's not the command that the Lord had given Ezekiel to speak, he said, son of man, can these bones live? Not can they come together and make a bunch of noise, which I think is very easy for us to get excited about when dead people start making noise, right? But they're not actually living yet. Mm. Anyway, not what I'm talking about. Mm. (laughs) But we can get excited about bones coming together, but that's not the place where we need to stop. And then he goes on, he talks about putting flesh on these bones, right? And covering them with skin, So now what we have is a bunch of dead bodies on a floor, which is even weirder than a bunch of dead skeletons, right? Because all of a sudden, these were dry bones, but now they have the appearance of being alive, but they're just kind of laying there. And eventually it gets to the place where um, Ezekiel's called to prophesy to the breath. He's supposed to prophesy to the wind, some of it would say, and that it would come and that the Lord would fill these dead bodies now 
with his spirit, with his breath. That's one of the things that we see. And remember what we just read, right? In John chapter 20, verses 21, it says Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Jesus trying to just be funky, right? He's not being weird. Guys, I've been in some weird services where I've had like apostles and men of God and prophets come and pray for me and they blow on me. I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> like, if God tells you to do that, that's okay. I've been in, I've been in services. I know that God's used that and before, but that's weird. But the reason why Jesus breathed on his disciples, they didn't have toothbrushes back there. Think about it. Like, that, that might be weird. <laughs> I bet you Jesus had good breath. Does that come with, like, the package deal of being the son of God? You get, never mind. Um, Sidetrack. Nothing what I'm talking about. The reason why Jesus breathed on his disciples was he was, I believe he was directly coming back throughout the Old Testament where we see the spirit of God associated with the breath of God. All the way back to creation, right, when he breathed into man. Whew. Anyway, this is not my message, but I feel like I have to share it. All of this comes to, they rise on their feet, a vast army. And I'm saying this because uh, we see here, um, the, the Lord says in verse 11, that the bones represent the people of Israel that have said, we have become old, dry bones and all of our hope is gone. They're wearied and they're tired and there's no hope left for them. These were the chosen people of God. And I believe at large that the church is pretty good. It's full of good people that have their hope robbed from them. When I talk about the church at large, I'm talking about people that have just kind of been in church, just have kind of gone through the motions, and the breath of God is missing from their lives. The spirit of God is missing from their life, and they have no hope. It's not that they doubt. It's not that they think God's a liar. It's not, they just have no hope left. They're weary and they're tired. And I believe that it's important for us to look to prophecy here. Speaking forth the word of the Lord in certainty that it will happen. Right? Around the person and the testimony of Jesus. Because we see this picture transpire. This wouldn't have happened if Ezekiel wouldn't have responded to the Lord. And I believe in this season, God is going to awaken up prophetic listeners that will hear what the word of the Lord is saying, that's going to speak out prophetically what the Lord's going to do. And as a response to that, we're going to see many dry bones come to life. I'm talking explicitly in the context of the church. I'm not trying to be too fruity I'm not trying to be weird. But I believe that the Lord is raising up prophetic voices that are going to be so close to the heartbeat of God that they're going to hear what he's saying. They're going to speak it out with authority because they've spent time with him. And that's going to encourage the body that God's going to literally, on the, on the fulfillment of prophecy, he's going to breathe upon his church once again. He's going to breathe upon his people, and it's going to arise a vast army. So that's why I said there needs to be an awakening of prophecy within the church if we're going to fulfill the mission. I believe the Lord is wanting to raise up prophetic voices to awaken the church. 
Because the second part of awakening, which comes by way, I think the Lord is going to strategically use that first one. I've never taught on that before. I'm feeling the Lord stir some things that I actually want to teach on. That's supposed to be a brief overview. But I believe the Lord's going to use prophetic voices. And I believe a prophetic congregation here to speak forth what the Lord is doing in a community. Change it. But this is the language that I used before, and I believe that um, God wants to awaken believers from the slumber of spiritual complacency to live with urgency, passion, and holiness in the midst of a compromising culture. That was taken from about three years ago when we initially sat down and we talked about what is the twofold aspect of awakening the church or the of mission of Open Doors Church is mission to fulfill awakening. Wow, that was a mouthful that I butchered. But initially when we talked about how we wanted to be a church that was involved in awakening, we, we talked about awakening believers from spiritual complacency to live with urgency, passion, and holiness in the midst of a compromising culture. I want to read to you Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. It says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. These are the words of Paul in Romans 13. I'm going to read it from the New Living here. It says, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. This is Paul talking. He said time is running out 2,000 years ago. Right? (laughs) Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That's really cool, friends. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know we're closer to his return than ever before. Think about that. At this moment in history, we're the most privileged generation because we're living closer to the return of Jesus than anyone ever before. I get excited about stuff like that. But it says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. I love when Paul just lays it on heavy, friends. Nobody else is excited about that, but I am because Paul takes away our excuses here. He's saying it's time to wake up. And he's not talking about just waking up to to wake up. He's talking about that there is an urgency to the mission before us. There is an urgency to the work that the Lord would have us do that people are dying and desperately need Jesus. Therefore, we should live our lives in holiness to be a secure witness for the faith. If 
friends, I, I'm not the doom and gloom preacher. I don't like to follow all the fads or anything like that. But the, the simple reality is this, that Jesus is coming back. And I don't know when or how or what that will look like exactly. I can't tell you pre-trib, post-trib with 100% certainty. I'm not going to get caught up in the details, but I know this, that he is coming back. And the early church lived in the reality that he could return at any moment. So why would we let us, being 2,000 years on the way out, somehow wane or just kind of, oh, well, he's never actually going to come, so it's not worth living in urgency. It's foolishness, I tell you, friends. Wake up. (laughs) Wake up. The church cannot afford to live in complacency. It cannot afford to live in compromise. We are called to holiness, and in conjunction with that, he's calling us to fulfill tasks that he's prepared for us. Not that we're saved by work, not that we're not that that you know we're saved by our deeds, but the simple fact of the matter is is that he has things set before us that he wants us to accomplish. He has a clear objective in mind for us to fulfill. And too many of us are content with making sure that we're okay while the plane goes down. And we miss out on the full intention of God. The full intention of, in my dream, I believe the full intention of God was to keep my family safe. But there was, there was more than that than just keeping my family safe. There were so many others that I had the opportunity to impact but I neglected. And I want you to think about that. How many people do you come into contact with that don't know Jesus, that probably don't come into contact with other people that do know Jesus? I'm not not trying to guilt trip anybody here. Please hear me. That's Holy Spirit's job. He'll bring conviction. Not guilt trips, but he'll bring conviction. Stop living in such a way that People are other people's problems. (laughs) We think like, oh, somebody else will reach them for the Jesus. Somebody else, you know, that's just not my personality. That's just not my type. Friends, you have a responsibility if God has done a work in your life to live in such a way that he's actually done it, but also be motivated with urgency to reach the world for Jesus. Friends, I'm, I'm here, I'm preaching this message to myself. It's easy for me to get caught up with you guys. You guys are good. You've signed up. You said, yeah, I love Jesus, right? Let's just figure out how we love Jesus better. Let's figure out how we can do it better. And there's people that desperately need him. Anyway, I'm saying this because I'm talking about urgency and passion and holiness, not just in terms of evangelism. I don't want that to come across as the only thing I'm talking about. When we're called to awaken people, I believe we're called to awaken people to passion for Jesus. And because of a passion for Jesus, we're passionate for the things he's passionate about. So before, before anything else takes place, I want, I want to see a church that's passionate for Jesus. That only comes by way of his Holy Spirit. So I believe that we need to awaken a prophetic voice to hear the word of the Lord and speak it forth. Or otherwise, 
people are going to cast off restraint and they are going to perish. But in doing so, as we respond to the prophetic voice, which is the testimony of Jesus, saying, Lord, do it again. That the church is going to arouse from slumber and complacency into a life of passion, being passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about, and really fulfilling what we read there in Romans chapter 13, uh, that there would be a clear cutting away of the old man and the things that we used to do. I mean, I love what he says here. You need to take off your dark deeds of dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. He's saying that you cannot live, if you're passionate about me, you cannot live in compromise. In fact, I would say this, you can't say, you can't sing a, a, sing a song, Lord, have it all, Lord, have all of me, if you're unwilling to do what he's asked you to do. Hmm. You might be able to get where this is going, but. I think one of the greatest tragedies that has probably taken place is that there are churches that exist. There have been movements that have been founded purely on evangelism, not motivated out of a place for the love of the Lord. And I feel like that's detrimental to the gospel. That's, that's detrimental to, to real Christianity. Because what it did was it invited people to come be a part of a program and a system to, to kind of reproduce things that were never founded in the place of love. And that's the reason why I kind of switched the order on this, that I want to awaken, because initially I had these reversed, but I want to awaken, see the church awaken to love for Jesus and passion for him before a passion for evangelism takes place. Because I don't want to invite people to a passionless church. I don't want people to kind of get associated with a half-hearted Christianity. Because we're doing a greater detriment to the kingdom of God than any benefit if we invite people just to kind of, hey, join our social club. Jesus turned people away that weren't committed. Think about that. Like, like Jesus, Jesus turned away more people than he welcomed as disciples. And he had no problem with that. I'm not saying like, oh, we should see how small we could be. Or, don't read too far into that. But I'm saying that there is... Hmm, I'm not interested in inviting people to a passionless church to be a part of a passionless movement of being nominal in faith. That's why we can't be complacent. That's why we can't live without urgency. We can't live without passion because if we invite people to be like that, one, nobody wants that. Two, it doesn't do any good. And the last aspect of awakening that I want to talk about is I believe we as Open Door Church are called to awaken pre-believers, is the way that I wrote it down, to the spiritual reality of the gospel and abundant life available in Jesus Christ.
I, I had to use the terminology pre-believer. <laughs> because when I first moved here, I had these audacious prayers that I'd bring before the Lord. I mean, they sounded ridiculous, but I'd pray things like, God, would you make Pagosa Springs an impossible place to go to hell from? I mean, I, he says that he's able to do immeasurably more than what we could ask for or think, so I'm just going to ask for it all. Lord, would you break off cynicism? Lord, would you break off doubt and discouragement and disappointment? Friends, God can still heal. He can still save. And it's in his heart and he wants to do that. Some of you have, like myself, have grown discouraged. You have grown disappointed. And you've gone to the place, God, is it ever going to happen? And you've kind of just fallen into neutral, just coasting because you realize that I, I've given everything I've got and nothing's changed and nothing's happened. And so I'm going to go along for the ride. I'm not going to switch directions, but it's not worth it anymore. I, I'm going to practice this prophecy thing that I'm talking about. God is going to break off discouragement and disappointment. There have, been, there have been promises that you've been holding on to that God was going to move, that God was going to save, that God was going to deliver. You've been praying for family members for years and years and years and you've not seen breakthrough. I'm saying that the Lord's going to break off disappointment and discouragement and he's going to give faith once again to believe him and take him at his word. And he's going to back it with demonstration of his power. But I strongly believe, friends, that we're called to awaken pre-believers. I want us to look at every single person we come into contact with through the, through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of heaven. You see, because Jesus looks at somebody and sees the potential of their life if it was handed over to the direction of his will. Not the current mess that it is. But we have a hard time doing that as people, don't we? We always look at the circumstances. We always look at the problems. We always look at the inhibitors of why that person could not serve Jesus. And we try to deal with that first. I don't know how many drug addicts I've been friends with and I, I've prayed for. And I, I took the approach that we've got to get rid of the drugs. <laughs> ah, I hate drugs, guys. I hate them. <laughs> And I look at it as all the inhibitors. But can I tell you, Jesus isn't intimidated by any degree of darkness. He's not intimidated by any bondage. He's not intimidated by any sickness. He looks at every obstacle as an opportunity to receive glory. And so regardless of whoever, whoever it might be that you've been praying for, that you want to see come to the knowledge of Jesus, or whoever it might be that the Lord might send us into contact with, I want us to look through things. Uh, I want us to look at people as pre-believers, as what their life could look like if it was turned over to Jesus and the testimonies that they might have and let that serve as encouragement and fuel to engage in evangelism. Hmm.
I'm telling you, when, when some of those bad suckers start getting saved, you know, things, I'm allowed to say that, right? I'm telling you, it'll light a fire under you that God can save them. Man, he can do it in anybody. Let's get after it. Hmm. Romans 10, you might be familiar with it, but I believe it's part of our mission that there are actual things that we have to do. I believe that we are actually called to preach the gospel, not just wait around for people to ask us about it and why we're different. I believe there is a biblical command to actually speak forth the truth of Jesus. In fact, it says, Romans 10, 8, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Good news, right? Paul lays out how you get saved. <laughs> but he goes on to say, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Friends, we need to stop living in kind of the some distant fantasy that people are just going to give their lives to Jesus without us engaging them with Jesus. God can do that. I've heard testimony of how God's done that. Probably in response to a lot of prayer. But the biblical mandate that we have is that you would go and make disciples. That you are being sent as the Father sent Jesus. With the same power and authority of the Holy Spirit that the disciples were sent, He sends you. We need to stop making excuses for our lack of passion when it comes to evangelism. I'm preaching to myself, friends. It's easy for me to get caught up in church culture and get so wishy-washy when it comes to telling people about Jesus. I get that. Second Corinthians 4 says, Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the reality of the mission that I want to live. Hmm. There are people that are blinded that need to be awakened to the reality of the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And I believe that the way that happens 
is when we're used and we're surrendered to the Lord as catalysts of change, empowered by His Holy Spirit to do so. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses throughout Judea, to Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That's the promise that I want to leave here with today. I believe that our mission as Open Door Church in terms of awakening is threefold. That we're to be awakened to the prophetic voice because we have to understand the prophetic voice is the voice of the Lord. We have to be doing what he wants us to do. (laughs) Good strategies that work for other people aren't necessarily going to work here. It has to come from divine revelation from God. And of course, we back it with his word. We don't take just tutti-frutti-ness here. Prophetic is always backed by the word because it's backed by the testimony of Jesus. In doing so, there's an awakening of the church, of believers, of those that claim Christianity into a life of passion that comes when the Holy Spirit breathes upon them. We need the Holy Spirit to breathe upon the church. We need to create and cultivate an atmosphere here that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because he wants to awaken his sleeping giant, the church, to passion. Because we're not not willing to invite people to passionlessly serve the Lord. We want them full of hunger, right? Last but not least, as a result of those two things, we fulfill the mission of Jesus and inevitably the mission of the church by seeking and saving the lost when we're used by the Holy Spirit to introduce people to Jesus. But none of this happens because we figure it out. None of this happens because we're really, really good Christians. It happens when the Holy Spirit moves. That's the beautiful promise that we have is that he will give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In fact, he even says, how much more will I give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we're not going to get super weird or anything like that, but as we dismiss this morning, I I want you to take this word. I want you to... I want you to meditate on it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to take this to the Lord in your prayer closet, in your secret place throughout this week. Because I need us to be on the same page about why we exist as a congregation. Because the next steps that are coming after this are going to require us all to be on board. Would you guys stand with me? But we need the Holy Spirit, amen? So, Father, your church is here. Lord, we've gathered. 
Lord, because we want you. We want to bring glory to your son. We want to bring glory to your name. But we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own effort. We need the divine breath of God to stir his church. Lord, we need you to raise up the prophetic voice within this house. That the testimony of Jesus might be heard. Lord, that passion might be stirred, that life might enter into where there is hopelessness and burnout. That we might fulfill the mission of Jesus, the reason why you came to seek and save the lost that we might invite others into life and life eternal in Jesus Christ. But we need your Holy Spirit. We don't want to take credit for anything. We just want you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.